Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. And in Revelation chapter 4, we have moved past the Lord's instruction to the seven churches that are present in the first three chapters. And the key phrase, the key phrase in chapter 4 is those first two words, uh, after this. And uh, there's a series of things that are to be considered as John would behold. Uh, one of those great notations that we've spent some time on is the fact that there is no longer any presence of saints uh, abroad. They have, the saints of God, have been raptured out. That dispensation of age of grace has concluded. Uh, and it's a marvelous thing to behold. Now, I would tell you this. Um, while we would often speak in this regard, and we would agree biblically and theologically that the fact the saints are now in presence, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, they've received their glorified body, the rapture is what we speak of. Uh, I think it's important to note here uh, that that does not mean that there are not churches still here on earth. In fact, I would submit to you there's going to be a ton of churches that are going to meet the Sunday after the rapture. Um, they're not even going to have an idea of what's going on because they really don't have any idea about what is going on now. And uh, I think that there's going to be shortly after the rapture of the saints an important element to consider that there'll still be grand religion that exists here. Uh, but the only true worship that you'll find when you get to chapter 4 and verse 1 of the God in heaven is that which has occurred in and around the throne room. Now, as you progress, new revelation is given. But after this, the saints of God, they're gone. This age of grace has concluded, and this time of tribulation has opened up thence. And so we spent some time a couple weeks ago talking about the throne of God, because this is herein described. Then we took some time last week, we talked about the 24 elders that are referenced there in verse number 4. And this morning, with our time that remains, we want to focus on another or third entity that is present. And so I would draw your attention to verses 6 and 7 this morning. Note there, if you will, And before the throne was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, the second beast like a calf. The third beast had a face of a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. Verse 8, the four beasts had each of them six wings upon him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever. And we'll conclude there. Verse 10 picks up with the four and twenty elders worshiping him as well. And so to your notes, your handout that you have, uh, as the apostle John continues to view the throne of God, he describes, he describes in the midst and round about the throne four beast, four beast. Uh, just as the 24 elders were found throughout the book of Revelation, so these beasts, these four beasts will as well. Primarily, they are found in chapters 4, 5, and 6, 
But for your reference, you'll also note that they're found later in chapter 7, particularly in verse 11. You're found in chapter 14, uh, particularly verse 3, chapter 15 and verse 7, and chapter 19 and verse 4. Now let me point out one important thing, and your note reflects these. Uh, but turn over, if you will, to chapter number 13. Now we're not going to study chapter number nine, uh, 13, but I want to give you a nuance that is present. Uh, these four beasts that are here first introduced to us in Revelation chapter 4 are distinctly different than the beasts that we find in Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13, uh, you'll note there, uh, verse number 2, And the beast which I saw was likened to the leopard, his feet as the feet of a bear, his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power, his seat, and great authority. So you got two beasts. So as you read through the book of Revelation, uh, sometimes uh, if we're not paying close attention, we could get the two confused. But they are distinct and therefore not to be confused with each other. In fact, the, there are two different words used to describe these entities. In Revelation chapter 4, these four beasts, the Greek word there is zoa, zoa, and it indicates a living thing, a living thing. Whereas in chapter 13, the beast that we found is Therion. And that always in your scriptures indicates a dangerous, wild, uh, and to a certain extent, poisonous beast. Uh, so there's a grand difference between something that is a living creature and something that is a beast that would produce danger and angst uh, and harm to those that are around them. And that is true for us by observation as well. And so these two should be distinctly noted. They are not the same thing. So you get to chapter 13 and you're reading and you find a beast. Don't confuse the beast that's introduced in chapter 13 with the beasts that are uh, introduced in chapter 4. Let's take a moment and note some of the physical characteristics, some of the physical characteristics of these beasts. Uh, note, if you will, and I think in the notes, I perhaps did not put these in the order in which they are in scriptures. But you'll find, uh, A, we'll speak of that they have eyes, they're full of eyes, before and behind. You'll find that in verse number 8, they were full of eyes within. Um, they have the ability, because of their eyes, to see clearly and succinctly. And because of their position, they can see all the way around. And John spends time noting that they are full of eyes. A second thing, and I want to intimate this by the phrase we gave with the difference between chapter 4 and chapter 13, they are each described in the sense of a present creation. A present creation. These are created beings. Uh, they are present thence. And so what we're going to read in their description is something in the which God has made them. Now we read down a little bit further in verse number 8, we find a fourth description. A fourth description. And that is this, they have six wings. Six wings. The four beasts had, verse number 8, each of them six wings about him. And so they're winged entities. The fourth one that I would give you is, found also in verse number 8, they rest not day and night. That's an important consideration. So when we look at these characteristics in the scriptures and we consider this individual, we consider or these, these creatures, and we consider how they flow throughout the book of Revelations, they're present always, they're in the midst of the throne. 
that brings a couple interesting questions to mind. Number one, who or what are they? And if you were to take and you open a series of commentaries and begin to think about that, there's many common possible identities for these beasts. Just because it's common does not make it correct, but there are many common ones. So let me give you the four of them. And then after I've given them to you, um, I'll take a few moments and go over them. Uh, letter A, sometimes these four beasts are seen by some to be a manifestation of God. They're seen as being a manifestation of God. And besides your notes and parentheses, put this word spiritualized view. Spiritualized view. As dispensationalist, we rarely ever take spiritualized views. But nonetheless, this is a common one that will be given. Uh, letter B, sometimes they're seen as the four Gospels. The four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In parentheses, you'll put the preterist view. And you'll remember what the word preterist means? Already occurred. Uh, someone that is a full or partial preterist, basically that is a determination of their prophecy. Uh, that means that all prophecy is to a great extent fulfilled. Now obviously, um, in one sense, there's no such thing as a full preterist in one sense, because when, when you deal with eschatology, you're talking about things to come. And since no Christian at this time has their glorified body, you can't say that that's completed. But as a whole, as it pertains Israel, as it pertains to the New Testament believer, etc., a preterist looks at many of those Old Testament passages and said they're already completed. They're already completed. And the preterist view would hold to the four Gospels. Uh, some would say, well, these four creatures are just simply angels. They're just simply, they're angels. D... Uh, a fourth view would be that there is a specific order of angels. Let's visit that first one again. Uh, the idea of the fact that they are just a manifestation of God. I told you it's a spiritualized view. Now, a spiritualized view in a way of interpreting the eschatology, the end times things, has always intrigued me because there's really no rules to it. If you're going to take a spiritualized view, you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say because it doesn't exactly have to mean what it means. And so I've always, from a sense of my mind, been intrigued with a spiritualized view. And so as you read, and they'll talk about these four beasts, they'll say, well, really, this is just a manifestation of the Godhead, meaning that these four living creatures do nothing more than describe and and uh, embrace or explain the entity of God. Let me give you four things to think about. Maybe write these on the back of your paper. Uh, the first thing I think about when we think of the spiritualized views of the manifestation, these beings being the manifestation of God, I would note, I would note Psalm 106 and 20. In Psalm 106, the psalmist, through inspiration, is speaking, and he, he's talking about the heathen that had created images in the similitude of, of the ox that eateth grass. I also would think of Romans chapter 1 and verse 22 and 23 where he talks about they that knew God had created unto themselves a God and that they had given the glory of a God to the beast of the field. I would submit to you that God is never pleased in revealing himself or being revealed in an image. Um, that is why in the Ten Commandments, in Exodus, thou shalt have no other graven images. Thou shalt have no other God before me. Those were tenets. 
when God reveals himself to man, he ne'er before or ne'er since has seen the need to create entities in which he must reveal himself. The second thing we think about these four beasts being the spiritual or manifestation of God is that these very four uh, living creatures, these four beasts, uh, they appear with great likeness in Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 10, or rather Ezekiel chapter 1 and in chapter 10. Uh, Ezekiel, one of the few individuals in scriptures that would be able to see into the throne rooms of the third heaven. Paul might would, we would reference as being another one, but there's nowhere in scripture where he really gives an account of what he saw. John being another one. But when these individuals, particularly Ezekiel and John, are able to describe the throne of heaven, they describe something that has great similarity. So I would say to you that unless they both have the spiritual outlook, they are in fact not a spiritual manifestation of God. I also would find it interesting that another reason that these four beasts are not a manifestation of God is they are never worshipped. They are never worshipped. In, in fact, if you read down through the scriptures, particularly in verse number 8, it talks about the four beasts crying the Trinitarian expression of holiness. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. They are never being worshipped. Rather, they are always in the sense of worshipping he that sits on the throne. A fourth thing and I just, this is just an interesting observation. When we read, particularly I think of 1 John chapter 5, I think of 1 Peter chapter 1, the expression of the Godhood, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We would call that the, the Trinity, the three in one. I would just simply note that there are four of these beasts, right? There's four of them. Occasionally as you're reading through the Revelation, it'll reference two of the beasts. But they're never referenced on the individuality of them. They're always in groups and never in a group of three. So I would say that if we're going to spiritualize these four beasts, it would be incorrect to spiritualize them as the manifestation of God because they just don't fit. Well, what about the second one? Some would say they're symbols of the gospel. Now you'll remember the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Bible students will often refer to Matthew, Mark, and Luke and will refer to them as the synoptic gospels. There's tremendous similarity with those. Now, the fact is, as you're reading down through those gospels, you're reading down through Matthew, you read down through Luke, Mark, John, etc., there are certain characteristics of God that is brought to its fore. For instance, I, I could read in Luke and find the expression of him being uh, a servant as a sense or to see him as being the son of man. I certainly could look at Matthew and see his kingliness that is present as I address the Almighty God and his character. But when I say that these represent the four Gospels, I'm not talking about the essence of how they reflect Christ. I'm talking that there are some of those that will look at these four beasts and say that each one represents a Gospel account. And the fact is, as you think of this, this is some kind of gospel these four beasts represent. When you think about a gospel account, you, you think about the good news. You think about how, being to, how one can be saved from the wrath that is to come. Yet these four beasts do not speak of the expression of the gospel. 
they are almost always an expression of wrath. Um, Let's see if I have it here. I think it's chapter 5. And maybe verse 7 or so. We'll come to it in a moment if I don't see it. You know what? It's chapter 15. It's the vile judgments. Let me just show you this quickly. Look in Revelation chapter 15. I think in the opening we talked about where these are later found, and I said you can find these four beasts in various chapters, and we mentioned this passage, Revelation chapter 15 and verse 17. So when you think of the gospel, you, you all think, and rightfully so, of being saved from the wrath of God. But these beasts are not talking about the good news of salvation. They always are dealing with a matter of judgment. Look in chapter 15, and uh, note, if you will, verse 7. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials, and notice the phrase, full of the wrath of God who liveth forever and ever. That's not a gospel picture, is it? No. These entities that are present, these four living creatures, they are not representative of the gospel. They are representatives. They are in and among and they are around the throne, but they have a distinct purpose and they are associated with God's judgment. Let her see. Let her see. I wouldn't say much about this, but uh, some would say, well, they're just simply angels. Just simply angels. You know, when you think about, uh, there are two words that I think that, I think we as Bible students should understand about angels. When it's used in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for angel, it means messenger. That's what it means. And then when you come to the New Testament and you look up the New Testament word for angel, you know what it means? Messenger. When you speak of just angels in a general sense, the idea throughout the Scripture both in the Old and New Testament is that they are indeed messengers of God. Now sometimes that messenger can be in picture of a person. For instance, in Revelation chapter 1, we're told the angels of the churches. That can be the expression that is used. The messenger of the churches. We would reference that as being the pastors, if you will. But when you look throughout the whole of it, there's something interesting about angels. They are never described as these four beasts. In fact, in dialogue, I think about uh, Joshua. He's about to cross over Jordan, and he's about to be present with Jericho and the fit to battle of old, you know. And there he happens upon the captain of the king's host, an angel as you were. He is not overcome with six wings or a face full of eyes. The same would be true of Daniel in chapter 9. The same would be true in the gospel accounts of Mary and that, of course, of others as well. When they see an individual, a messenger of God, in the essence of an angel, there's always, uh, if, if I can put it this way, uh, a generic sense. There's, there's always the idea of them in form, not too far distant from humanity. In fact, many times they're, they're readily described quite like this. But as you think about the messengers, the child of God that comes in encounter with all of these angels, whether in Old Testament or New Testament, never describe anything quite like these four beasts 
that are present. And I want to particularly note again, we're talking about the word angel. Now, drop down to letter D, and we'll give some greater clarity on this. Uh, a forethought that is often common is that there are specific order of angels. Now, someone could take umbrage with that, but as you look down the scriptures, you've got that word angel. Old Testament, New Testament, different Hebrew Greek word, same thought, messenger of God. But there are two other entities that are present in the Old Testament that are sent often from God or interact from the throne of God. For instance, and we'll touch on this one, Isaiah chapter 6, you have seraphims. Seraphims in Isaiah chapter 6. And uh, in Genesis chapter 3, turn over to Genesis chapter 3. This is the first outside of Lucifer in the previous chapter. This is the first time in all the scriptures that you'll find any reference of a heavenly being that is sent by God on a specific mission in the chronology of scriptures. Notice, if you will, Genesis chapter 3 and draw your attention to verse 24. In the previous passages, Adam and Eve have sinned and a curse has fallen upon them. And the scripture records in verse 22, the Lord said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. Verse 24. And he drove out the man. And he, placed at the east, he placed east of the garden of Eden. What's our word? cherubims, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep way of the tree of life. It's the first reference we'll find of anything denoting something that would have come on the idea of a direct sense, and it is judgment. Here, both of these cherubs, uh, there are two of them present, and they have a flaming sword, and they're about they're about to keep the way of the tree of life. Now, you won't find the word cherub mentioned again in the book of Genesis. It's nowhere else mentioned. The next time you'll find it, note if you will, Exodus chapter 25. Flip over to Exodus chapter 25. We'll just look at a few of these. I probably have about 30 passages here, but we won't, we won't turn to all of them. Exodus chapter 25. And draw your attention to verse 18. No, actually, I want to move up earlier. I want to move up to verse 16. And thou shalt put in the ark the testimony which I shall give thee. In the previous passages, you've got the description of the ark of the covenant. And he talks about two rings on either side of it, staves of shittim wood that would go in from thence, that later we're told that's how the priest would carry it, and descriptions about that in verse 14 and 15. And he says, inside this ark of the covenant... You'll, you'll uh, put the testimony which I shall give thee. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And thou shalt make two cherubims of gold. Of beaten work shalt thou make them in two ends of the mercy seat. And make the one cherub on one end, and the other cherub at the other end. Even the mercy seat shalt thou make the cherubs on two ends thereof. 
and the cherubs shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings. Their faces shall look one to another towards the mercy seat, shall the faces of the cherubim be. Thou shalt put the mercy seat above the altar of the covenant, or I'm sorry, but the mercy seat above upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. Verse 22, And there I will meet thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubs, which are upon the ark of the testimony, of all the things that I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. Now I mentioned that long passage, and you could go to other passages in Exodus, and, and they'll often talk about cherubs as being part of the, this is a very cheap word, the decor that God had ordained and placed throughout the tabernacle. But great detail is given here to the mercy seat. It was the place where God dwelled. And if you can, if you can imagine in your mind, here is this chest and the descriptions and cubits are given. And inside that would be various testimonies of God's goodness and His graciousness and sometimes of His judgment that would be placed inside of that. And on top of it would be this flat top altar, the mercy seat. And on either side would be these cherubs. They're looking at one another, their wings nigh unto touching presence. And God said, And from the midst will I commune with thee. Well, in Numbers chapter 7 and verse 89, Moses is communing with God, and the voice of God comes from between those cherubs. In fact, if you take time and you look through all the scriptures, you'll read a number of times where there's a reference of God dwelling between the cherubs. For instance, Isaiah chapter 4 and verse 4, he said, He dwelleth between the cherubs. Various individuals in the scriptures, I think of the Song of David in uh, Psalm 100, I'm sorry, Psalm 18 and verse 10 and 2 Samuel 22. It's a song of David and he references God flying betwixt the cherubs. In 2 Kings chapter 19 and verse 15, Hezekiah is praying to the Lord and as he prays to the Lord, he prays to him that dwelleth between the cherubs. And then one other passage I'll grant you, if you will, and that's in Ezekiel. Turn over to Ezekiel the exilic prophet here. And note, if you will, in chapter number 1. Now, I've structured these as being, in one sense, you know, specific orders of angels, but they're distinctly different. These seem to be references and are references of cherubs. Come to Ezekiel. Uh, Did I tell you chapter 1? Well, you could look at various things in chapter 1. Let me highlight these, and then I'll turn to chapter 10. Here in this particular passage... Uh, Ezekiel in verse 4 says, I looked and behold a whirlwind came out of the north. Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 4. A great cloud, a fire enfolding itself, and a brightness was about it, and out of the midst thereof was the color of amber, out of the midst of the fire. Also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures. This was their appearance. They had the likeness of man. Everyone had four faces. Everyone had four wings. And their feet were straight feet. And the soles of their feet was like that, the sole of a calf's foot. They sparkled like the color of brandished brass. And they had the hand of a man under their wings and on their four sides. 
and they four had faces and their wings. And their wings were joined one to another. They turned not when they went. They went, every one, straight forward. As for the likeness of their faces, they had four the face of a man, the face of the lion on the right side. They had the face of an ox on the left side. They four also had the face of an eagle. Thus was their face, and their wings were stretched upward. Two wings of every one were joined one to another. The two covered their bodies. They went everywhere, and they went everyone straight forward. Whither the Spirit was to go, they went, and they turned not when they went. As for the likeness of these living creatures, their appearance was like the burning coals of fire. The appearance of lamps it went up and down among the living creatures. And the fire was bright. Out of the fire went forth lightning. Then in verse 14, he talks about the creatures, the living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. Notice in chapter 10, Ezekiel chapter 10. We could almost look at this whole chapter, but I'm, I'm just going to pinpoint, just read a little bit of it here. He said, Then I looked in verse 1, and behold, in the firmament that was above the head of the cherubs, there appeared over them as it was a sapphire stone, and the appearance of the likeness of a throne. He spake unto the man clothed with linen, and said, Go in between the wheels, even under the cherub. Fill thine hand with coals of fire from between the cherubs. Scatter them over the city, and he went in my sight. The cherub stood on the right side of the house, and the man went in, and the cloud filled the inner court. The glory of the Lord went up from the cherub and stood over the threshing, the threshold of the house. The house was filled with the cloud, and the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory. Verse 5, the sound of the cherub's wings was heard even to the outer court as the voice of the Almighty God when he passes. Uh, notice, notice down, if you will, in verse 7, and one cherub stretched forth his hand from between the cherubs under the fire that was between the cherubs and took thereof and put it into the hands of him that was clothed with linen who took it and went out. There appeared in the cherubs the form of a man's hand on their wings, and when I looked, behold, the four wheels by the cherubs, one wheel with one cherub, and another wheel by another cherub, and the appearance of the wheels was the color beryl stone. Then he's going to talk about their bodies. He's going to say in verse 12, these are some ones considered the whole body, their backs, their hands, their wings, their wheels were full of eyes round about, even the wheels that they four had. As for the wheels that cried unto them, hearing a will, Verse number 14, he talks about the four faces of the cherubs that were present. The first face was the face of the cherub. The second was of a man. The third, the face of the lion. The fourth, the face of an eagle. They're lifted up and such and so forth. Uh, these cherubs are described here as very, very similar to what we have in Revelation chapter number 4. And so, in fact, when you get to these passages here in Ezekiel, uh, these are the last time the cherubs are mentioned in the Old Testament. Now, one other characteristic that I want to give you, uh, aside from these cherubs, are the matter of the seraphims. So if you have, turn over to Isaiah. We referenced this a moment ago. But if you do a word study on seraphim, I want to go to chapter 6, uh, you'll find it only mentioned about half a dozen times in all of the Old Testament. Obviously, the cherubim, 
that little word study, you'll chase that down. And it's several places in the Old Testament. The seraphim is really only mentioned, really only in one passage, though it's mentioned in totality about a half dozen times, it references something else. Notice, if you will, in chapter 6, uh, Uzziah has died. He says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. Uh, you drop down to verse number 6. And then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. Now, these two passages here in uh, Isaiah chapter 6, the only time that you have this idea of a winged, and I'm going to call it entity just for the sake of distinction, but this seraphim, the only time it's mentioned is Isaiah chapter 6. We're told it has six wings, and it flew, and it took the coal with the tongs off the altar, and you'll find there that it's placed upon his lips. Every other reference in the Old Testament, turn over to Revelation chapter 4, Every other reference that you'll come upon in the Old Testament that deals with the singular seraph uh, is the word fiery. So, for instance, in Numbers chapter 21, in Numbers chapter 21, where you're dealing with the bickering and complaining of God's people, God sent among them fiery serpents. And that Hebrew word fiery, seraph. You'll find another reference to it in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And in Isaiah twice, both in 14 and 30, chapter 14 and verse 29, and chapter 30 and verse 6, you get the idea again of fiery serpents. And so really there's not a whole lot that we know about seraphims with one exception. And that is, I mean, obviously we know that they are in and around the throne. And we know that the idea of the word has that idea of fiery, and we know that they have six wings. And then when you come to the cherubims, you find with the cherubims, that there's a great amount more detail given of them, particularly through the prophecy of Ezekiel. So with these things in mind, look at your, I guess it's the third paragraph, throughout the Scriptures. Throughout the Scriptures, there are two orders of angels. I do not think that this should necessarily be that we should divide all angels into either or. I don't think that I would do that. Uh, but there are at least two orders of angels that are consistently mentioned Seraphims, Isaiah chapter 6, I did that backwards. Cherubims, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 24. Seraphims, Isaiah chapter 6. The term angel is a broad term in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that means messenger. And its particular emphasis is a messenger from God or of God. In certain cases, in certain cases, it can refer to an angelic being. It can be a man, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1. Uh, it could be a theophany, like you would see in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 15. It should be noted that angels in the broad sense often took on or expressed a human visage. These individuals, these living creatures, are different. There's very little humanness expressed with what John or Ezekiel saw. Note some of the following things about them that we have discovered this morning. Um, letter A, they have the same number as found elsewhere. The living creatures 
of Ezekiel, that Ezekiel describes in chapter 1 and verse 5 are the same number that is found in Revelation chapter number 4. Their appearances are quite similar. When you get to the idea of chapter 1 and verse number 10, uh, they have wings, they have multiple expression of faces, they're in and around the throne of God. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of similarities between Ezekiel and the book of Revelation. I would also associate to you that they have similar associations. Similar association. I mentioned just a moment ago they're in and around the throne of God. That would be an association. I did not look at this, but if we were to take time, go back to Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 28, he mentions as he looks at these four living creatures and he looks at the throne of God, he mentions an uh, uh, emerald sapphire type rainbow that is present. Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 28 which is in keeping when you look here in Revelation chapter 4, and he specifically talks about a rainbow round about the throne in the side of an emerald. Uh, both Ezekiel and Revelation references these living creatures as full of eyes, full of eyes. In fact, one of the greatest distinctions, there are a couple of them. One of the greatest distinctions is the four beasts, and there are two of them that come to mind immediately that, that at least we've looked at this morning by reading. Uh, there's the difference in the number of wings. Uh, they had four wings in Ezekiel chapter 1. Here John describes six likened to the seraphims. I would also note there would be a differences in the description of their faces. Um, verse 7 of Revelation talks one having a face like a calf. And when you go to the book of Ezekiel, while you find uh, very many commonalities, you don't find that one that is present. So there are some differences. So from all these above references, it would seem to us that the beasts have much in common with the cherubims. In Ezekiel chapter 28, we're told that this is the order to which Lucifer belonged. In Ezekiel chapter 28, he calls him the cherubim. Yet... They also have commonality with seraphims, particularly the number of wings. These four beasts must then be one of these two orders. If they are not one of these two orders, they very well could be an unrevealed angelic order. What do you mean? Something that we do not know from this point backwards. It's not revealed to us yet. But one thing is certain about these individuals, these living creatures, I should say, that will hold such an important portion around the throne of God from chapter 4 all the way to chapter 9 is this. They wait on the Lord and they fulfill His purpose. One thing that I did not say that I find to be interesting, and I'll just kind of cap this off with this, when you compare the 24 elders and the four beasts, they are quite different due to their clothing, their crowning, their prestige. And of course, we would hold that the 24 elders, those represent, that word elders used throughout the New Testament for the pastor day, they're a representative of believers. And these four beasts are not representative of believers at all. They rather are the divine ministers that God Almighty has created and they will meet out and be used to meet out the judgment upon the unbelieving world in these next chapters of the book of Revelation. The four. Father, 
Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112. And visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time.